This morning, we are diving back into our series that we are calling Life with King Jesus, how Christ invites you into a beautiful life of surrender. And in this series, we've been looking at at Christ's most popular sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, that comes out of Matthew chapters 5 and 6 and 7. And over these last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the kinds of things that we all wrestle with in our everyday daily lives. And so far, we've, we've talked about anger and sexual temptation and lying and revenge and pride and greed and, and anxiety. And this morning, we get to talk about judging others. But the thing that you have to keep in mind as we talk about this invitation that that Jesus gives to us, this beautiful life that Jesus invites us into, right? If you come at this beautiful life saying, hey, I'm wrestling with, with sexual temptation and I'm not winning that fight, or I can feel the roots of pride sinking deeper into my heart, or I'm gripped by fear and anxiety more than I'd like to admit. The the thing that you have to keep in mind is what we're really talking about goes well beyond, let me give you four steps to overcome pride. Or let me give you the formula to, to, to pushing back against anxiety. What we're really talking about with this beautiful life, this invitation from Jesus, is, is yes, it's beautiful because there's greater freedom from the kind of things that we're talking about in this series. But, but even more than that, this invitation that Jesus gives to us through this Sermon on the Mount is an invitation to know him. It's quite simply, this entire sermon is quite simply an invitation to know Jesus more and more and more in the face of the kind of things that we all wrestle with. It's an invitation to give Jesus priority in your life. We saw this last week in verse 33 of chapter 6, which really is the bottom line main point of the entire Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And the way that you seek the kingdom is quite simply by seeking the king. You seek the kingdom by making King Jesus the priority in your life, in every aspect of your life. And as you do that, as you surrender your life to King Jesus more and more and more, you'll find that your life begins to change. How does it change? And what kinds of ways does it change? That's what we're seeing in the Sermon on the Mount. As you open up your life to Jesus, you'll find that things like anger and sexual temptation and lying and revenge and pride and greed and anxiety and judging others, you'll find that those kind of things have less of a grip on your life. And so it all comes down to not me giving you four easy steps to overcome judging others, the thing that we'll talk about this morning, but really this question. How does life with King Jesus set me up to not judge others? So this is going to be our bottom line for this morning. But before we get there, let's back up just a little bit. When Jesus talks about judging others, let's be clear. He is talking about a specific kind of judging. Let me ask you this. How many of you, when you came into this building this morning, locked your car doors? Right? Why did you do that? Because whatever is in your back seat, right, 
you're hoping it's still in your back seat when you go back out to your car. Right? There's a judgment there. There are people in the community who will walk away with your stuff. Right? There's a judgment there. Right? That's common sense. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. What he's talking about in Matthew chapter 7 is critical condemnation. Right? We see someone and we're not a fan. We see someone and they're doing something that we don't agree with. We see someone and, and they're, they're too different. They're too outside of our comfort zone. They're too sinful. They're too, and you fill in that blank. And we see that and we judge them. We criticize them. We condemn them. And the Lancaster County way to do this is we criticize that person behind their back or we do it to their face but in a very passive-aggressive sort of way. And some of us will actually confront that person that we believe is wrong. And I use that word believe because there are some times that our perceptions are incorrect. Right? Some of us will confront but we do it in a way that tears down, does not build up. We've been using this book as a, as a guide, as a resource through the Sermon on the Mount, and it's The Good and Beautiful Life, and I've brought you quotes out of this book, but I've not read to you from this book, and I'm going to fix that today. Here's how the author sets up our conversation. He writes, one day my friend Mark and I met to discuss a matter he said was weighing on his mind. I've got a close friend who claims to be a Christian, but is not living like it, Mark said. How so, I asked. Well, he treats his girlfriend badly. He neglects her and is sometimes mean to her. I've witnessed it on several occasions. There's two ways I'm planning on doing it, and I I want your advice on which is the best way, he said. What are the two ways, I wondered. The first is to go to his house and confront him one-on-one. I've written a list of all the times I've seen him be unkind to his girlfriend, and I'm planning on presenting it to him. The second way is to bring a friend with me who has also witnessed his bad behavior. I remember somewhere in the Bible it says that you need to bring a witness with you or something like that. Anyway, which approach do you think would be better? Neither, I said. Neither, he responded. Why? Let me ask you two questions. First, have you ever been confronted like that? To be more direct, have you ever been judged by someone in a manner like you're talking about? Yes, Mark replied. One time a guy who was in a Bible study with me had heard that I liked to go to clubs on the weekends and he confronted me about it and he questioned my salvation. Then I asked, did that approach actually help you? Not really, Mark blurted. It just made me feel embarrassed and then angry. I never went back to that Bible study and no one even called me to see how I was doing. So I asked, when someone used the same approach you were thinking about using, all it did was hurt you and make you turn away. Right, he said. Then he paused for a moment before saying, I think I see what you're getting at. That line in there, I never went back. I wonder if you've ever been confronted like that. Where someone said, hey, you're wrong. There's a whole lot of, of, of the pointed finger and not a lot of grace. Someone demanded that you change. If you've had that experience, how did that feel? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been the person pointing the finger? 
Have you ever been the person demanding change? Have, have you been the person who fails to show grace? This has got an immediate and direct application. Right? With Christmas in only a week, some of us are going to have to spend time with family. And in our families, we've been on the receiving end of judgment or we've been on the dishing it out end of judgment. And that just makes those, those forced family fun events like holidays a whole lot of fun. This morning in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks to exactly this, judging others, and that puts us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. But before we go there, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we open your word, our deepest heart's desire, whether we can name it or not, is to experience you. And in a room this size, again, we are all over the map. Some of us are hurting. Some of us may not even be sure why we're here. Some of us are happy to be here. But no matter where we're at, the thing that we can know is that you are here. And so as we open your word, let us see Jesus, the word in the words, that we might experience you and come away changed. We pray all these things in the powerful name of our Savior. Amen. So Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1, just a little bit of context here. Some scholars would say that as Jesus is, is fixing on ending the Sermon on the Mount, he's just riffing on a couple of different things. Other scholars would say, no, 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 in these snapshots that we get, there's actually a thread that we can follow. And so these snapshots that we get here in this part of Matthew chapter 7, don't judge Take the log out of your own eye. Don't waste what is holy. Keep on asking and do to others. Let's see if we can find the thread that ties these snapshots together. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So if you're going to condemn somebody, right, that more than likely is going to how they respond to you. You condemn them, they condemn you back. It is an ugly cycle. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye? When you can't see past the log in your own eye, hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. All right, so let me explain that part. If, if we, we trace this thread of judgment into verse 6, even if you want to help someone who has something wrong in their life, and, and you want to do it in the right way, and you want to come alongside them to, to help them to see them succeed, 
Even if your motivations are above board, you have to know that there are people who, even though they might benefit from your help, they don't want your help. Or they can't talk about that thing that is wrong because they just can't see it. Or they would rather not deal with that issue. Or they can't go to that vulnerable place with you. Or maybe they're simply not ready to have that conversation with you. Maybe you're not the right person for that conversation. Maybe the timing isn't right. The thing about pigs and pearls is that pigs have no use for pearls. If you throw a bunch of pearls into a cage with a bunch of pigs, if anything, the pigs might try to eat those pearls, but there's no nutritional value there. So literally, pearls have no value to pigs. And so Jesus is saying, before you run off and try to fix someone, make sure that they're going to welcome your input, that they're able to hear you, that they're ready for your input, that they're going to value your input. Because if they're not, you're going to walk away upset and frustrated. And they're going to walk away upset and frustrated. And it is literally going to be lose-lose. And that person's going to be so upset and frustrated, they very very well may turn around and attack you. So if we're to be super careful in our judgments and to go super slow in our attempts to fix people. How do you proceed? That gets us to verse 7, that gets us to prayer. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? And then into verse 12, the verse that ties it all together, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So rather than judge, rather than criticize, rather than condemn, rather than tear someone down, Jesus invites you to pray for that person. Jesus, quite simply, invites you to choose love. So in these five snapshots that we have here in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is inviting you to move from condemnation and move to compassion. He starts by saying, don't judge, and he ends with with encouraging you to choose love. Did you see that progression in our verses? Right when, when you see something that is wrong, Jesus invites you to move from condemnation to compassion. See, when we condemn someone, Right When we tear someone down, when, when we have, though, on the other hand, compassion for someone, even if the issue never changes, even if that issue never gets resolved, when we have compassion for someone, we are building them up. And so let me ask you this. If change is needed in that situation, who's going to be more open to exploring change? Right, that person that you've torn down or that person that you have come alongside and built up. How many beach people do we have in here? Can I see your hand if you're a beach person? 
right? And if you're not a beach person, this might be the reason. Seagulls. Right, so you're sitting on the beach, minding your own business, sitting in your beach chair on your blanket, and you pull a sandwich out of your cooler. And you know what happens? This happens. Suddenly, there are a hundred seagulls flying around you on the sand next to you, flying above you, flapping and squawking and pooping. We'll call that making a mess. And then as soon as you're done with your sandwich, if there are no crumbs, they're gone. So often when you and I do judgment, we take the seagull approach. We see something and it's too different. It's too outside our comfort zone. It's too sinful. And our approach is to swoop in, do lots of squawking, make a mess over everything, and then swoop out. But instead of that, Jesus is inviting you. When, when you see something that maybe needs to be addressed, to not rush, rush to judgment, but to go slow, pray, and ask, so what is it that's gonna help this person? How might I come alongside this person? How might I support this person? How might I love this person? And if I come back to, if change is needed in that situation, the person that you've loved is going to be more open to exploring change. And Jesus shows us exactly and perfectly what this looks like in John chapter 8. And rather than have us read this, I'm going to have us watch this as I think it helps us imagine what compassion in a hard situation Right, where there is something wrong, what that kind of compassion looks like. Let's watch this clip. Early the next morning, he went back to the temple. All the people gathered round him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught committing adultery they made us stand before them all. Teacher! This woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. In our law, Moses commanded that such a woman must be stoned to death. Now, what do you say? They said this to trap Jesus so that they could accuse him. But he bent over and wrote on the ground with his finger. As they stood there asking him questions, he straightened up. Whichever one of you has committed no sin may throw the first stone at her. Then he bent over again and wrote on the ground.
When they heard this, they all left, one by one. The older ones first. Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there. He straightened up. Where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, sir. Well then, I do not condemn you either. have to believe that this lady in John chapter 8 was so moved by this encounter with the compassion of Jesus that she took his words to heart, go, but don't say it anymore. My favorite part of that video is the sound of the rocks dropping. Did you pick up on that? I think this part, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is inviting you to drop your rock. In a world that is full of stuff to confront, the only way that you are able to drop your rock, to move away from condemnation, to move more fully towards compassion, is to know in a very deep place just how much compassion that Jesus has for you. Really, this is the story of Christmas. Jesus did not seagull you. Jesus did not swoop in, make a mess, and then swoop out. Jesus came to us to be one of us. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus comes alongside you to help you, to love you, to die for you. And so our question, how does life with King Jesus set me up to not judge others? The answer is simply this. You are the recipient of a great compassion. You are on the receiving end of God choosing love. You are not on the receiving end of a pointed finger. You are on the receiving end of mind-blowing grace. And if you've embraced Christ if you've embraced his love and his compassion, if Jesus truly is your king, then that means that you are unshakable in the kingdom. And yeah, it hurts when you are judged. And yes, you will still have experiences that twist your gut when you see those situations that are different, that are outside your comfort zone, that are too whatever, you fill in that blank. But rather than move away from that person, you can actually move toward that person to help them, to show compassion if and only if you are embracing and pursuing life in deeper ways and in growing ways with King Jesus. 
Because it's only then that you'll know that you are unshakable in the kingdom and you're unshakable in the kingdom because the king is unshakable. Can you imagine, and maybe this is for a difficult situation that you are in right now, can you imagine how compassion might change that situation? How your compassion might help that person explore change? If you're on the receiving end of condemnation, can, can you imagine that rather than reciprocate with condemnation, instead you reciprocate with compassion, instead of condemning that back? Can you imagine how that might change that situation? Let me take you back to the story that we started a few moments ago. It says this, Mark had been ready to march in, hand his friend his list of infractions and let the judgment itself do the work of transformation. I convinced him that it would not work and would likely harm the friendship, perhaps irreparably. So what should I do, he asked. Spend one week praying for your friend. Don't pray about the situation or how to fix your friend. Just pray for your friend, for his well-being, for his relationship with God. But he asked, what about my list? What about my confrontation? Not yet, I said. Put your list in a drawer for now. Just spend a week praying for him. A week later, we met for lunch, and I could tell Mark was very different. He wasn't agitated. He seemed peaceful. I asked him if he'd been praying for his friend, and he said that he had. Praying for him changed everything. I feel a lot more compassion for him, and my need to attack him is nearly gone. Still, I feel like I want to address this issue with him. We met again two weeks later, and he was excited to tell me how well it had gone with his friend. Mark shared with me a story that reinforced my appreciation of Jesus' teaching. He said that he remained in a posture of support with his friend who opened up about his past. Mark's friend, he learned, had an abusive and distant father. Without any prompting, his friend talked about his fear of repeating his father's pattern. He thanked Mark for letting him open up and asked Mark to continue to walk with him in a journey toward change. I'm so thankful that I followed Jesus' approach and and not my own, Mark concluded. If I'd given my list and attacked him, even in a spirit of Christian love, it would have backfired. I never knew about his dad, and now I understand him and his struggle a lot better. Not every story will end this well. There have been times I have followed Jesus' approach and had no success in working toward change, at least as far as I could tell. Some people are not ready to change. The human heart is locked from within. Nevertheless, Jesus' method of helping others is by far the best. Judging others is tempting, but it never succeeds long term. The far better approach is to pray for and stand with those that we care about. In short, we treat them as we want to be treated. No other teacher in history can surpass the brilliance of Jesus. Jesus, this king who comes to you. Jesus, this king who loves you. Jesus, this king who stands with you and invites you to do the same with and for others.